Hello and welcome back to Freecast. My name is Rob Murray. I am your host. And this podcast is brought to you by the Free Press Media. My guests today are Tim Lin and Shelly Pierce, two of the most admired and most interesting <laughs> figures in local radio. They've been the hosts of uh, the Shuffle Function Radio Show, heard on KMSU 89.7 The Maverick, every weekday morning, 6 to 9 a.m., and also on Thursday evening, 6 to 7 p.m., since 2002. During that time, the show has developed quite a following in southern Minnesota and also has listenership nationally. They've developed unique relationships with artists such as They Might Be Giants, the legendary Stardust Cowboy. They've curated an annual film series. They provide the backbone to MSU's, to KMSU's pledge drives, take listeners on bus tours of Twin Cities record stores, and so much more. They're known as uh, shrewd purveyors of quality music, I would say. Um, and their show's mission statement is nobody plays fewer hits than Shuffle Function. So, you guys, it's indeed a pleasure to have Tim and Shelley on the podcast. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. It's good to be here. I have to say, I don't have any money if, on me to pay you for those kind of words, but I'm <laughs> If for I it. heard about a radio show and I, and I heard that they were purveyors of bands like They Might Be Giants and The Legendary Stardust Cowboy, I would probably <laughs> listen to that show. Because that sounds like a good show to me. <laughs> it's pretty good. So, show. it's weird to hear that applied to us. Think, <laughs> oh, I'd listen to our show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you had yeah, to. Right. If you were stuck in snow and right. had nowhere else to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love the show. I don't listen every morning. I do listen every morning in October in because October. I love yeah. the drummers. Yeah, Judson oh. Fountain Radio Drummers. Judson Fountain Radio Drummers right. were like my, when my kids were still home, one of our one of our traditions every October was to turn you guys on and make sure we had that on for Judson Fountain. They love Judson Can Fountain, you do so. any of the voices? from it i don't want to even try it because i probably i probably would hurt my vocal cords if i, I try i have to say it's a trash thrill can from thailand or something it's a thrill to know that there's uh, such a culture around kmsu radio listeners that that we get people all year round asking when are you going to play the judson fountain <laughs> radio dramas that's um, because they're so goofy and so weird and, and you know you listen to them and you realize there is a reason that they're called the ed wood of radio drama mm-hmm. um because it's just one of those things where everything about it that should fail ends up being why it's so successful. If people don't know what the Judson Fountain radio show is, maybe you guys can explain that quick before we... Oh, that's true. It's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's it's uh, Well, Judson Fountain, was, he lived out in New, New York, York yeah. New Jersey, and he basically was just like a drama, radio drama nut. So he'd write these pieces. They were not... Shakespearean by any means. They're <laughs> no. very formulaic, uh, but he would play all of the characters and the voices, and he uh, would get other people to do it with him, and he would play them on the radio. Yeah. And Somehow. Th- some of these were put out on vinyl. They're incredibly rare, right. and if you have one, let us know. And it's, it, <laughs> it's, I mean, we play every single one that he's ever done over the course of October, and I say this realizing that I was just about to say it's, amazing to think that these were ever played on the radio to begin with <laughs> when we play them every October like because it's just such a huge part of our Halloween uh, uh, rituals and, yeah. and gear up I think he's he's someone that you can hear how enthusiastic he is about what he's doing and how much he's into it and this is I mean like they're not competently made no but as you pointed out that's, that's the, what that's makes the charm. it 
That's yeah. what makes it fun. And in many ways, a lot I of feel his like voices are the same. Voices, a lot of his characters are the same. And, and that's where the parallels with KMSU really come into play. Because <laughs> we're all 18 years old and we got a lot of spending we're all to do. Super enthusiastic <laughs> about radio, and our lack of professionalism shines through. It's cute how hard you guys try. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm going for. Right. So anyway. Um, before we get to like other stuff you guys do at KMSU, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your history, and we'll start with Shelley. Um, I don't, I don't know where you're from, or do, you know where you went to high school, or anything about kind of your backstory. Um, well, I'm from Share Iowa originally. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I love Iowa. Iowa's where well, the, you go when the bleep hits the fan, because yeah. those are the people that remember how to save seeds and right. fix things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm from Iowa originally. I moved a lot. Because my dad was a store manager for Osco Drug. Um, so I moved a lot growing up because I lived in Indiana for a while too. But I moved to Mankato when I was 10, and I've been here ever since. So I kind of, I'm not from Mankato originally, but I've been here long enough to, to feel like I, I am. And, and so I went to West. Tim and I actually were a year apart at school, but didn't know each other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at all. Um, so I'm a, I'm a Scarlet. I went to MSU. Scarlet class of eighty-six. Okay, so what we're about the same age then. What was the drugs was the and tip? sex? We get our kicks. We're the class of eighty-six. Thank you. <laughs> Very clever. What was eighty-seven? Uh, along the same lines. <laughs> <laughs> Something heaven, I bet. Uh, yeah, it? yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yep. There's not much at rhymes with seven. So Stay kind of in school, kids. Right. So when Shelley, when did you? Um, when did music become something you knew was going to be like really personal in your life? Because it seems like, you know, I don't know that much about you, but what I do know is like it's everything to you. <laughs> I've I've always just when I grew up, we listened to the radio a lot. Um, I when I was living in um, Evansville, Indiana, and I was maybe six or seven, uh, we lived in this apartment complex, and one of our our friends in the area who's was named after his dad's radio name. So he was named Buddy Boy. Um, his dad did the morning radio, and so we always had that on the bus going to school, and we just loved it, loved listening to him and, and to the music. So I've just always listened to the radio, even like in high school, or if we'd be around hanging out at somebody's house, either MTV was on or like Z99 was on. Mm-hmm. So I've always just been into, into the radio, um, or even I, I was a after I graduated high school and went to college, I started listening to more actual um, public radio, talk radio kind of stuff. But so, who who was the first like artist who? I I think we all have somebody who like suddenly it was all kind of different. Like it like spoke to your soul kind of thing. Do you have anyone like that who was in your life? I for me it was you know Prince. I was young mm-hmm. from. Minnesota he was for a while everything in my world so well I was pretty I mean having MTV was pretty huge and I had it like the day it started and so once that was on back I mean it's nothing what it is now but back then they only played music videos and they would play every video they had because they didn't have much so you would see really weird stuff but yet at the same time I mean a lot of the stuff I was listening to was the popular hits of the day so I I think anything like on MTV that I liked was pretty crazy. I mean I, I had favorite bands. I I think when I was 
like in high school, the Smiths were pretty big to me and, and the Talking Heads were pretty big to me. But I listened to a lot of what you'd probably see like on 120 Minutes on MTV, that kind of bands, which you didn't hear a lot on the radio. You never heard those kind of stuff on the, on the radio. It was, yeah. yeah. It was- um, so I, I, I don't know. Music was just always around, and I always liked what I liked or liked what I didn't like. But, you know, I hate the Eagles, but I could sing every Eagle song there is because of the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would... I don't know, music's just always been there. And I played in the symphony growing up. I started playing bass when I was in fourth grade. So playing music was always something that I did. Um, so I think that was part of it too. Do you still play? I think, I mean, I, I, I was, I went to a, I went to the record store one time. I went to Toontown and you were playing bass with somebody and I had oh. no idea you were <laughs> I don't play, a bass I, player. I, we actually, I was playing in the symphony when we started the show and uh, we had rehearsals the night that we were on the air so i kind of quit the symphony to do radio mm-hmm. and so i haven't played in the symphony but i still play bass i play with uh the electric fry right now mm. which is the electrified version of anna joe the fry <laughs> cool <laughs> so so i do that or jesus christ superstar things mm-hmm. cool things like that Tim, what about you? I don't know where you're from either. Uh, well, I was born in Watertown, South Dakota. Um, my family moved to Mankato. Then we moved back to Watertown, South Dakota, and my sister was born. And then we moved back to Mankato and been here since first grade, um, which is a long time ago. I remember Star Wars premiered that year. <laughs> one of one of my early Mankato memories is seeing the trailer for Star Wars on TV and thinking, that looks really stupid. <laughs> and I was wrong. <laughs> You were really wrong. <laughs> I was so wrong. Uh, but yeah, I grew up uh, in North Mankato, actually, and went to West, class of 87. And um, You went to MSU as I well? I went to MSU as well. Yep. Got my BFA in graphic design. And, oh, really? Yep. And uh, radio is something that I have been obsessed with for as long as I have been aware of it. And uh, so every every morning when we get up at, at a ridiculous hour of the day, we're pretty much doing exactly what I always dreamed I would be doing when I was a kid. So why didn't you go into like radio, go to a school that has a broadcast program and try and do that? Uh, you know, life. Life happens. <laughs> I, I didn't know what Bad I wanted choices to be. Are made. I didn't even want to go to college out of high school. I basically was like told you're going to school. And thank God... Back then, if you lived in Mankato, you could go to MSU. You just kind of got in by default <laughs> because otherwise I'd never get into a, a school. Yeah, yeah. I was in the same boat. Because <laughs> I, I, I had no idea what I wanted to be. I didn't know I, I, didn't know yeah. I really wanted to do radio until I thought about being an intern for This American Life. Mm-hmm. And that's what made me start hanging around up here. So, I, I mean, I never thought of people being – I listened to it all the time, but I never thought about doing it. Mm-hmm. Although you have tapes when you're like a kid playing yeah. radio, <laughs> yeah. Every once we break in a while. that out during pledge drive time when we're like, "Come on, you guys!" Yeah, when we want to resort to emotional blackmail, we we roll out the tapes of me when I was a ten year old kid playing DJ and urge people to not destroy the dreams of a ten year old boy. <laughs> I have never. I, I kind of avoid pledge drives, so I've never heard that. It's too bad. I love pledge drives. I'm gonna have to. Suck it up. It's been a while that, <laughs> since we since we've rolled those out. Yeah, I don't think uh, we played those probably in seven or eight years. Yeah. Oh, it's time to bring them out again. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> we'll it's, see. it's funny. 
because I, I make up all these commercials and and uh, I'm very enthusiastic. And you have a fake like sound guy that you talk to. Yeah, and I don't remember what his name is, <laughs> I but think I, it was Mike. But I'm playing um, I'm playing records for my dad in this little green 45 record box of all these records that he bought when he was growing up, and it's pretty much what informed me musically. Um, which is a big part of why I'm an Elvis man. But um, I'm playing these records and I'm announcing them and I do fake commercials. Uh, and, uh, the, you know, the only one I can think of right now, my, my sister came on at one point and she was going to play uh, the platters, but she kept calling them the bladders. <laughs> and I got really mad at her. And you can actually hear the moment I pushed her away from the microphone <laughs> so I could take over and do it properly. <laughs> so it's been in your blood for a long time then. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So I'll ask you what I asked um, Shelley. Um, do you? And maybe you sort of already answered this to a certain extent, but um, when did music become something you knew was going to be like really personal for you? Uh you know, I think it's always something that I've just loved. I mean, my er- some of my earliest childhood memories are me in the backseat of mom and dad's station wagon sing- singing Chicka Boom and, and uh, Billy Don't Be Hero and Bad Bad Leroy Brown. And I still have the first record I ever got when I was three um it's very hammered on but uh, that was billy don't be a hero um but then you know just listening to radio growing up becoming obsessed with with radio um and then things like uh when when elvis died that was that was a big thing i was only seven but it impacted me pretty pretty heavily um became obsessed with the beatles i mean my 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 hardcore music loves are kind of cliche mm-hmm. you know everybody loves to eat the Beatles and, and Elvis, but um, I mean, much of what I am now, I can trace back to the moment I listened to my mono copy of Paperback Writer that I got at a flea market when I was in sixth grade, and I was just I have this memory of putting it on the turntable, and uh, the rest of my family was just around, and I it, the second the needle dropped, I just kind of froze, and I actually announced to the room, "This is the music I've been looking for." <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like 12 years old, and I made that bold declaration. Wow. So, you, you were so a drama. You I knew. Seven. I knew that that was, that was it. It just hit me like a lightning bolt. And so much of what I've listened to now, like the hooks and like my love of power pop, I would say the reason I probably connected with the Beatifix record so hard is because there's so much of that pop hook stuff that goes right back to that first listen of Paperback Writer. Listeners, uh he mentioned the Beatifics. We're going to get to that in a few minutes, so don't worry about okay. that. that, that <laughs> All right. You'll you'll understand about that. Later. All right. Um, so, what was the first record you bought? You said the first one you got was "Billy Don't Be a Hero." What right. was the first? One the first got? record I bought with my own money was uh, Def Leppard "Pyromania," which is a great record. I would stand by that. Actually, <laughs> yeah. Photograph? Are you kidding me? It's a great song. It's a karaoke jam. It's yeah. like they wrote it, knowing <laughs> that in the future people would be drunk at a bar. Wanting to sing a sweet song and can't sing it, <laughs> exactly. And they can't. <laughs> Joe Elliott's got one yep. of those voices, man. But oh my god, it's so you good. You want to be able to even sing now. It. We're talking about it. I just want to pause this so we can go in the other room and get it and play it, <laughs> so I can hear it. There was a time when Def Leppard didn't put their stuff on streaming services. Oh sure. And I was, I I use, I use Spotify, and I was just, oh uh-huh. man, I can't wait till those guys put that stuff on there because all they had was like one recently like re-recorded songs uh-huh. and none of their other catalog was on there and then about two years ago they put it all on there yeah so what Let's, about you Shelly what, what was the first record you bought mine was Pete Townsend's uh, all the best cowboys all the best cowboys have, have Chinese, Chinese eyes because I love 
the song Face Dances. <laughs> Mine was Saturday Night Fever. It's a good one, though. The soundtrack? The soundtrack. They, they dragged me to um, the record store. I, I dragged my mom to the record store with my little chunk of money. And mm-hmm. the guy said, you know, we've got this used copy that was only used once, literally. And I said, nope, I want the new one. I want the plastic wrap on it. I want this thing new. And I... I Played it a few years and I've never gone back to it since. Actually, I did buy a used one at Toontown a couple years ago. So, just because it was my first one, you know, it's the record that kind of pigeonholed the Bee Gees hardcore, Mm -hmm. uh, and I think a lot of people got burned out on them because of it. But it's a great record, and if you go back and explore all the earlier Bee Gees stuff, it's stunning. They're such an incredible band that I think people really need to revisit, especially their earlier stuff. I haven't been able to. I've I've I've, I've kind of been one of one of the pigeonholed people. Uh-huh. I, I've kind of got them in a group and I earn a kind of a a pigeonhole and uh-huh. I don't want to go back uh-huh. to it. So they I get were, that. They were um, the Australian Beatles. Well, yeah, um, but they were like, can I say a naughty word? They were bad blanks. Mother fathers. Yes. It's a podcast. You can say whatever yeah. you want. They were bad mother badasses. They were. <laughs> There's the the show that they went on like some kind of interview show and one of the people asked him about why the brothers two of them weren't getting along and they all like just get up and walk out and it's kind of like you would not <laughs> don't cross the Bee you don't want to think the bgs could beat you up but they probably would have just mm-hmm. killed everybody in the room if somebody oh. had gotten in their way i didn't get that impression they but... were just like yeah. i wouldn't want to deal with them so they're more than just disco mm-hmm. so real quick um Tim, I saw that you were once a budding ventriloquist. Yeah, tell me about yes. tell me about that. Who is uh, your buddy? What my my buddy is Simon. Simon says was my ventriloquist <laughs> dummy. I still have them, although his mouth does not work anymore. Um, yeah, when I was a kid, I was. When you think about kids growing up that would get bullied or picked on because of things that they really loved, I feel like I was that kid because I wanted to be a magician. And I wanted to be a ventriloquist. Oh, man. And, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> you were that kid. And somehow <laughs> I grew up to be this vision you see before right, you right, now. Right. Um, yeah, I was. I just thought that stuff like that was the greatest. And, I, and, and I'd go to the library and I would check out records of the old uh, Charlie McCarthy, Edgar Bergen radio shows. And uh, I had a really bad ventriloquist act until I was about eight. <laughs> So when you say you would you would act, did you did you like perform for? I perform for like show and tells. <laughs> I when I like when I was shows? I was in no no <laughs> it was pretty much restricted to show and tell. Okay, but uh, yeah, I got I got it in kindergarten and I brought it to my kindergarten class, and I remember my teacher took me across the hall so I could perform for who I thought they were a hundred years old, but they were probably just first graders. <laughs> And I and I did I did this ventriloquist act and I don't recall getting a reaction from anyone, just stone faces. It had to have been pretty good if they took you to another room to do it. I again. don't know what the deal was. I can't. I, I maybe my teacher hated me and thought this guy's got to get taken down a peg. Maybe it was the weirdest <laughs> thing she'd ever seen and she had to I share it with another you know, teacher. And the, the frustrating <laughs> thing now is if this would happen forty years later. First, how weird would it be that a kid now would want to be a ventriloquist? Mm-hmm. But also, somebody would have had a cell phone and they would have filmed it, and yep. then I could have seen what the heck <laughs> I was doing. Because I would love to see that. Oh well, <laughs> it's probably cuter in memory. 
No, I'm sure it's, it was just cute. <laughs> I mean, what do, what about that doesn't sound adorable? Seven-year-old kid wanting to Did be a Did you dress up like Simon, too? No, it wasn't like we had... You weren't wearing matching no, clothes? No, but we would go... Simon had this specific outfit that he yeah, wore. Yeah, right. And there there was actually... I don't know if it's still there. There is a Simon Says doll at the uh, Salvation Army. <laughs> Ventriloquist dummies don't come cheap. No. Even, like, used beat-up ones are mm-hmm. almost $100. Mm. As they should be, because they're frightening. Yeah, right. <laughs> so how'd you guys meet? You said you were in high school and then didn't meet in high school, or you didn't? No, meet in high school? no, no. Uh-huh. You knew my little sister, right? <coughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was dating a friend of her little sister, but I, I didn't. didn't know you at all. Right. Um, we worked at Barnes and Noble together, mm-hmm. oh. and when Shelley was in the receiving <coughs> department, and one day I walked in and she was playing Howlin' Wolf, and I said, "Oh, Howlin' Wolf," and I probably went, "Wow, somebody who knows Howlin' Wolf." Because you don't meet that very often when you're in your 20s. So right away, we, we bonded over music. Or 30s. And then um, there was one day that uh, I came in and Shelly said, uh, would you ever want to do a radio show? And I literally had been waiting my entire life for someone to ask me those words. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that was destiny. <laughs> so how long had you like been friends before you said that to him? So you must probably have shared not, a lot. Probably not, not terribly that long. long. No. In fact, I'm always amazed to find out that we went to Memphis before we started the radio show. Right. So maybe? Maybe a year? Not even, I, I don't, don't think. Even, yeah. I'd say like six months? Seven months? I don't know. But Did we didn't know each other that well. I think we knew each other to be like, oh, here's a coworker that you can talk to. Mm-hmm. But that was about it. So when you said that to him, did you have an idea for coming up here and asking Kansas yeah, for a show? Yeah, I had actually been, no, not so much that, but I had been hanging out with um, my old advisor from college, because um, I graduated in anthropology, was Mike Scullin, who did a show here for like 25 or 30 years. And so when I wanted to do that internship with This American Life, I thought maybe it would help if I knew how to run the boards. <laughs> Maybe if I knew anything at all about radio, that, that would give me like a I step work up with and, Ira Glass. <laughs> and so I, 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 I talked to him and said, "Could I just come in and and watch you do your show?" Which ended up being like a, coming in for like one or two months and having basically like an introduction to jazz because that's what he played. Um, I don't think he ever showed me how to run the boards. I watched him so I could get an idea, but it was very different than it is now but um and i was just hanging out with him all the time he'd be up here doing his two-hour show we'd just be talking music and talking and then at one point he said have you ever thought about just getting a show yourself and i thought no but that'd be kind of fun that would maybe be a good reason to learn all this stuff so it kind of just went from there i think i talked to you the next that same day Mm -hmm. Because I didn't want to do a show by myself, I knew. Right. Um, and so, I just thought of Tim. I guess I don't even I don't even like recall going. Who should I do this with? Oh, Tim would be good. I think I just just naturally just thought this is the person to do it with. Mm-hmm. Even though I had no idea if you'd be interested or not. Sure. Before we talk more about that, did you do the internship at This American Life? No, I sent uh, away a big packet of stuff and later learned that they never got it. <laughs> so somewhere floating out there is like, I had to I had to write a lot of stuff and even record audio and, and like s- story ideas 
that's floating out there somewhere. Never got to them. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, it would have been cool. <laughs> yeah, because, I, I mean, we've been, the cool thing about doing radio is you get to sometimes talk to people that you love, and we have talked with Ira Glass on several occasions, and so that's how I found out mm-hmm. that it was never, that you never got it. Had great discussions about Gilmore Girls with him. Yeah, you did. Oh, I should have put that in my list of questions. Well, there's always time, Rob. I know you're a huge fan. I'm a huge fan, too. So, anyway. (laughs) So, did you want to, when you, so you had aspirations of this American life, and you wanted to do some stuff here. Did you want to do this American life type stuff here? I did. I love storytelling. I still love storytelling. And so, I wanted to do something like that. But I didn't necessarily want to do a show like that here because I knew I couldn't I didn't have the skills to do that so um, I I naturally was thinking it'd be a music show our first show that we ever did you put together all this music for it and we had it ready to go and doing a 59 minute show I think we talked that show enough for like maybe two minutes maybe total two minutes. through the whole thing before we went into that first show we put a i mean and it should be this way we put a ton of preparation into this thing uh we we talked about it for because it was probably a couple of months before we could actually do a sh- an actual yeah. show uh did tons of prep for it before the show we went over because there used to be a bar over here we went over and we got a beer to calm our nerves and to talk about what we might talk and about talk on the about air. We so we were like prepared to talk but we did like maybe every talk break was 30 to 40 seconds, probably 30 seconds right? at the most. And of course, Shelly's very first word all the songs. Shelly's very first word on the radio is famously. Um. (laughs) So that set the tone for 18 years. I could only get, I could only do better. Magic. Yeah. (laughs) But no, we, it's strange because we already had kind of like a format. I think it speaks to Tim always wanting to do radio. He must have had like an idea in his Mm -hmm. head what he would do. That's very true. And I didn't, I wasn't about to argue it. And so, because I I didn't have any idea and it sounded good to me to play a couple songs, chat a little bit, play some more songs, chat a little bit. I, I, and I'd say it was probably about six shows before it felt like we were kind of doing something that felt like it could be consistent. Um, But then I think. But even then, it's it's like, like, it's like if you watch the first season of 30 Rock. Uh, it takes about three or four episodes before it feels like this is this is the show. This is the way it's supposed to be. Um, it took about six shows before it really made sense and felt like anything was working at all. Um, do you still have that first episode somewhere? Do you, do you oh listen yeah, to it. I actually no. have probably <laughs> our first. I probably have like our first ten years of nighttime shows yeah. on CD, but then we've stopped recording them. Yeah. The, do you ever uh, go back? Because sometimes I'll I'll go back to some of the stuff I wrote in the nineties mm-hmm. and just think, oh my god, what was I trying to do with this? Sometimes I will listen to some older shows, and this will happen especially because we used to do shows uh, every August called Pop Music Pajama Parties, where we would write these huge radio dramas and and cast people and do sound effects. And, we have and, been airing those on occasion yeah. lately. And they're really, f- like the ambition behind those is is very impressive to me now because I just remember um, the the final year we did it, I, I got like pneumonia and collapsed from exhaustion because I was sleeping like three hours a night for six months trying to work on these things and get them perfect. So the ambition behind those impresses me. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> they were fun to do. They're I mean, we, we would love to be able to do it again. Yeah. Um, just because writing and 
having all these people mm-hmm. come in and do all the parts and it was just it yeah. was a lot of fun mm-hmm. and there were some of them were really stupid and some of them i think were pretty good i'm not gonna say which ones <laughs> i personally am am a fan of the recreation you did of the jetson fountain oh yeah so. that was very fun that was that was a lot that of I had well to done. listen well to done. that and write down word for word mm. because it wasn't anywhere yeah. online. For those for of sure. you playing at home, it was Judson Fountain's garbage can from Thailand, which is the first one you should listen to. I think it's the best one. Yeah, it's the it, first it, one we listened it's to. His stairway to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> if you play it backwards, it's real. No. <laughs> so, can you guys take me back though to when you were? first deciding you wanted to do a show together and what were what were the discussions like what did you guys was it were the discussions like we you want to make sure a certain kind of music was played or that, i think that was part of it we didn't you could not repeat the same artists for at least like 10 shows and and i would say we and if they were your favorite artists you couldn't play them as much as you'd want to right and we didn't repeat a single song for the first year yeah. We knew we wanted wow. to play a lot of outsider music. Yeah. That was that was always a key component from day one is we wanted to play people like the legendary Stardust Cowboy or Shuby Taylor, the Human Jan Horn, Deck. Jan Deck, um, Judson Fountain, any of these outsider oddball guys that are just really endearing. Sometimes their 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 intentions outweigh the, the actual talent or skill that, right. that you get, but they're just there's a sincerity uh about them that's contagious. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't, I mean, it, the strange thing was like once we met with, because uh, it was Fred Vetti who was the station manager, mm-hmm. um, and he okayed us to do the show, he walked in with us for our very first show that we did and said, all right, now here's where you press start, and then left. And that's all the direction that we ever got. Yeah for doing a show up here. Was that intentional? Did he not want to give you any kind of, or did he just not care? I don't think there was a greater design. I don't don't think he was, I just think he couldn't be bothered, quite honestly. Yeah. Um, And And so- Fred, we lost Fred. How long ago has it been since Fred? Decade, at least. Yeah, at least. Yeah, Yeah, it was a while ago. Um, But I'll always be grateful to him for giving this chance because- um, We always tell the story because Fred said no. When you do a show like this, it's a lot of commitment, so you can't just flake out. It's 52 weeks yeah, one of doing hour, a show. Yeah, one hour, 52 and, weeks. And, and he, he was all serious, do you think you can do that? And I went, wow, 52 weeks? And Tim kicked me <laughs> in the knee. Because I wasn't going to let her ruin my chance <laughs> to have my childhood dream come true. So, yeah, yeah, well, no, that's fine. We can do that. <laughs> so Fred took a chance at you guys and... and it's because of Fred that we have 18 years of shuffle function. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know why he, he he gave us a chance. There was nothing else on KMSU other than like Beautiful Music for Ugly's Children was the only other show that was really kind of a rock show at yeah. that time. Yeah. Uh, and I remember when we first started the show, there were some people that were upset that suddenly there's a rock show on KMSU. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. It was a big tent. <laughs> a very big tent. So let me ask you this. Um we talk, We mentioned your slogan, nobody plays fewer hits. Um, and hits is how kind of what we all know most radio to be. We all mm-hmm. grow up listening to radio and the songs we hear are there because they're mm-hmm. they're the big ones. They're, they're the hits. Um, some of what you play on your show can be considered hits or maybe was a hit at some time. Some of it's really obscure. 
you guys have a, a balance that I've never heard anywhere else, um, and it seems to resonate with people in southern Minnesota. If it works for you guys, why wouldn't it work on a commercial radio station? Oh, they wouldn't let us play what we want to. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> There's but a I lot mean, of, what they, if they did, They don't though? get a choice. What, what if but, they did, though? What if you were able to do this on... Uh, in a perfect world, a format like <clears throat> ours would be like the cash cow. <laughs> what do you but, mean by that? I mean, like people would say, like this is the new sound, and then they would oh. they would you know be able to make lots of advertising money off of it. But I don't think a lot of I think people like music, but I don't think a lot of people are devoted to music or or will dig any deeper than what they hear on the radio. Cuz it sounds really lame, but like when people say what kind of music do you play, the best answer is just to say we play music we like. Yeah. It's really hard to put what you play in a cat. I was trying to figure that out because I, as I was writing up the notes here, I was trying to <laughs> to describe to people yeah. what your show is. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult because sometimes we'll be asked like uh hey, so and so's got a gig, can you play some music by it? And like if we don't know the music or if we don't like it, it's really hard for us to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Which isn't what commercial radio, I mean, they're just right. playing it. If they're told to play it, they're right. going to play it. But if it's something that we just like, ugh, I, I really wouldn't be comfortable having to do that. Yeah. I mean, and anything that we play on the show, it's something that we genuinely like. Um, and I, and I we don't have, have any promotions guys shoving stuff down our I have to give a lot of credit to the listeners because I don't think that uh, – I. I think they've come on this trip with us and they've been willing to, to listen to things that they probably normally in a million years would not listen to. And maybe still in another million years would not listen yeah, to. Yeah, but they're willing to kind of just trust us a little bit and they don't just turn us off. Yeah. Although it's funny, we get we sometimes have people that will call and say, play some more music, quit talking. I can't, I, <laughs> could you just play something? And then the next day we'll have somebody going, you need to talk more. I, I I can't stand the music you guys play, but I really like it when you talk. Mm-hmm. It, and so it's that's always confusing too. So we, it must be good to hear that though. People, it, I feel like we're doing something right friend. if if nobody's happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're just we're just doing the show for us, and and hopefully people will listen. You know, I think I think that that there's a sincerity. Uh, that it comes through that we're doing something that we really love. Um, it, there's not a because I think of like artists like the legendary Stardust Cowboy. I I think you know we discovered them pretty much about the time the show was starting mm-hmm. um, and fell in love with them and would play music. And a lot of times the reaction would be like, "Oh, what is paralyzed? What is that? It's mm-hmm. so loud!" Or I played that and and the, my the kids ran out of the room or something. Mm-hmm. But if you look at then and you look at now, I mean, I mean, people here love The Ledge. Yeah, I mean. He's like a family member versus, almost. Versus those early airings where we played it and people were like, what is this? To two years ago where we brought the legendary Stardust Cowboy to Mankato for a, a 70th birthday concert and 400 people showed up. And we, and we do the card showers for his birthday and for Christmas. And so he's got these interactions with listeners around this area. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's. I, I think it's a lot to be said for Mankato that we have those kind of listeners. Mankato in southern Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go ahead and jump to the ledge then. Okay. 
<clears throat> we'll talk about. Never um, heard of them. Can we talk like the ledge as we talk can, about the ledge? It's probably going to happen. At please some point. do. I, it's, <laughs> okay. I mean, I have interviewed him, and he is a trip. <laughs> he is a trip. Well, you know the the guy that did uh, really fun to talk oh, yeah. to. King of the Hill. It was from Lubbock, Texas. Uh, what's his name? Oh, Ju- Mike Judge. Mike Judge. We're almost like a hundred percent positive that he based. Hank Hill's, Hank Hill's voice. voice on the ledge. It's they sound the same. They do sound the same. Yeah. Before we go any further, I want you guys to try to maybe give an explanation of who he is and his music style, which is experimental as far as I can tell. Um, but tell me, like, how you came about him, Staying how you found him. Well, I'll the, let you go. The, the, for me growing up and being being a music nerd, I used to do these things where like there was a big glossary of music um, in, in the school library. And I used to just sit and write pages and pages of just band names. And one of the names that had come up was a legendary Stardust Cowboy. And I didn't know anything about him, but I knew that David Bowie was a big fan and that he took Stardust from his name for Ziggy Stardust. So he was always kind of in the back of my mind as this guy that, is somehow related to music that I love. Um, but then around the time that we were going to start doing the show, there was this book that came out by Erwin Chusid, who's uh, a DJ on WFMU radio in, in New Jersey, which is the greatest radio station yeah. on the planet. <laughs> okay. KMSU is the second best, but that one is the place. Okay. Uh, and this is just a collection of, uh, uh, of, of articles about um, outsider musicians, oddballs, people on the fringes of, of uh, contemporary culture. And and Ledge was in there, and uh, there was a companion CD which had his song. Um, was it my underwear froze to the clothesline? Yep. Or standing in trash can. It was both on the one. There, there's no there. there there's two. Vo- anyway, it was either standing, standing in a, tra- in a trash. It was a can. standing in a trash yeah. can thinking about you. Yep. Which, you know, you right from the the song title, you're like, what is this all about? But he's so. He was so out there and so uh, so fun to listen to, and 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 I just remember listening to him and, and just laughing and just loving this song, and I had to discover more, and so I went and and tracked down a bunch more of his stuff, and I was a fan, uh, just from the the, the first he's, moment. He's the well, the the first real fan letter we wrote, I guess, was to Jandek, but he's the first one that we wrote to just as an all out fan and like mm-hmm. asking if we could interview him and. And we got a reply. Mm-hmm. I don't and, know how you would describe his music. It's one uh, of those things where, like, he makes legendary Stardust cowboy music. It's been called like psychobilly. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of it's a term I ended up using because someone else coined that term somewhere. Yeah, yeah that, I mean how, that sounds about right. <laughs> you listen to his stuff, and and there's there's <clears> the tr- tinges of, of of garage music or surf music or rockabilly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he grew up in Texas, so country's a big thing in his life. Um, but Ledge makes Ledge music. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the rockabilly stuff, just because of the musicians he's worked with mm-hmm. that back him, uh, have been a lot of rockabilly influences. Yeah. But he he's one of those people that make music because he has to. Right. He, that's, a, that's all he's ever wanted to do. That's what he did growing up. He'd play his guitar in front of uh, school every morning, even though he got beat up for it and mm-hmm. made fun of. and He just never stopped. He, he he would go and play on top of cars at parties, and that's just, yeah. he calls us now and says, I wish I could just be playing right. a song rather than working. 
mm. like I am now. I wish and, I could be doing a gig or a tour. And he's one of those guys that it, he has this crazy origin story. He was playing a show somewhere, and these vacuum cleaner salesmen saw him performing and thought, this is incredible. Let's take him over to the this recording studio and have this guy uh, record him. So they brought him to the recording studio, which was being run by T-Bone Burnett. At a radio station. At a radio station, and they rec- they laid down all these tracks just on the spur of the moment. T-Bone Burnett played drums on them, uh, and, and they immediately ran a recording of Paralyze, which is his first single, up to the radio station, and they started playing it for the guy that ran the station. And at first, he was just really agitated and angry. And then by the end of it, he's going, this is the new music! And they threw it on, and they kept getting requests, and they put out a single on, on Psycho Suave Records, which sold out cr- like crazy. And then Mercury Records booked him picked him up on a national level he ended up on uh laugh-in the thing hit the top 200 uh and then there was a a a a tv strike and all of his tv appearances were canceled and his his career just kind of lost because he was going to be on the ed sullivan show yeah he was going to the carson was his dream carson was his dream i think if he'd been on the ed sullivan he probably would have gotten on the carson show Mm -hmm. but it just kind of stalled out there and then he's just kind of he would show up on dr demento's worst songs mm-hmm. paralyzed would show up yeah but he's also this guy that has met so many famous people just randomly and well because he, he lived in vegas yeah. for a while worked in vegas he calls the station uh probably ever every other morning so at about seven in the morning we're talking to one of the the having one of the wildest conversations we'll probably have all day if not all week <laughs> uh and he'll just we'll be stop be talking about something and he'll just suddenly say oh that reminds me of the time that i i had i ran into the 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 Bee Gees mom at a casino. Uh, uh, and there was this other time that I met Muhammad Ali, and they had him all roped off, but I just went through and said, I want to shake your hand. Yeah. By the way, the voice is dead on. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what Ledge sounds like. Uh, and you could also say propane or Bobby. Bobby, yeah. And, and you would get yeah. your Hank Hill, so. <laughs> Peggy, oh. So anyway. So what, what when you started to play him on the air, though, um, what did listeners say about the ledge? I know when I first heard them, I'm like, you know what? I'm not on board with this. <laughs> and then eventually I came around and it was, uh, I'll tell you what song it was. It was Global Warming. Yeah. Which is such a crazy song. I know. Um, but that, I mean, there's some serious guitar work in that. I'm not sure if it's him, but it's, it's not serious him. guitar no. work in it's that the, song. This it's, is the it's thing his about Jay Rosen <clears throat> from, his, from his band. Yeah, this is the thing about ledge is... Uh, Joe Ely, who went to high school with with him, has described him as uh, East Texas's greatest jazz musician. Yeah, and if you like, if you watch him in concert or or hear some of these recordings, you you see where he's coming at because stuff just happens as the ledge sees it fit. So if you're in a band, you got to be able to follow this guy all over the place. And he is always you listen to his recordings; he's always backed by by musicians that are right there for him and they're able to follow him wherever he goes. Yeah. Um, because I think there's an awful lot of spontaneity with oh, Ledge. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, even just like you listen to some of his songs and you you feel like when he was writing them, it's probably what he free associated at the time he was writing the lyrics down. Um, but they're always so fun. Yeah, I, I, he's very lucky to have the Altamont boys that play with him now because mm-hmm. they're guys that have been playing with him for almost 20 years but just love him to death. Featuring and, Klaus Floride, bass player for the Dead Kennedys. Yep. <laughs> and they take care of the ledge. Yeah. Because the ledge, I don't, I don't think he sticks out in a crowd, but the ledge has a hard time 
getting by in the world. Yeah. Um, because I, I think I, from a lot of he'd, social, he'd be the first person to tell you that issues. he was never diagnosed with like, uh, like ADHD and he had learning disabilities and he was always made fun of. And so he's always been, it's hard for him to de- to deal with people in situations. Mm-hmm. And, and so these guys just really take care of him mm-hmm. and, uh, do everything for him. But I, one of my favorite things I learned the, the, first time that they came they talked about having rehearsal to come to Mankato and uh, the ledge treats even rehearsals like they're a full-on gig so he's wearing all of his gear and doing his, everything his that leather they do. chaps and his even though it's just these guys playing jacket. in somebody's basement to, to practice to get ready because uh, Klaus told us like oh no we had the rehearsals it's gonna be a great show mm-hmm. <laughs> when he opened for the the flesh tones right um I, I just love that about the ledge. If he can perform, it's going to be giving everybody a hundred and twenty-five thousand percent. Yeah. So the listeners, though, how how did they react when you first began playing? Like again? you, I think not yeah. every. Some people loved him right <clears throat> away, but most people kind of were like, they they didn't get it, or they. But we, you know, we're pretty insistent. And then and and you know, like we were saying before, there's a sincerest sincerity and. A genuine quality to his music. I mean, this is not something like you hear this and you think that this is something that's just going to be churned out anywhere. This is like when we say the ledge plays ledge music. It's like if you tried to play music like that, I don't think you could, and it wouldn't no. sound as genuine. No, it'd be like trying to play the Shags. Yeah, it, it you couldn't do it. Right. I think when we brought him to town and people met him as well. I think that that kind of won over a lot of people mm-hmm. because this show was awesome mm-hmm. and I know there are people even that uh, uh, are were DJs up here who were kind of surprised by how amazing it was they right. thought it was just going to be an old guy doing an act and mm-hmm. it was a full on rock show oh yeah <laughs> and that was where was that show played that was down at the Red Sky Lounge 2010 with the Flesh Tones um, our dream show yeah which we were interviewing Peter Zaremba, and I just kind of threw out there because we always talked about, like, a, one of our dreams would be to have you play with, like, the legendary Stardust Cowboy. And he said, oh, I know that guy. I, we'd do that. Yeah. this was, uh, We'd the, totally do that. This, this was where we established <laughs> our list of unobtainable goals. Yeah. And, and we, we checked that one off right away, so that yeah. was kind of nice. So when he has a birthday... It's kind of a big deal for you guys. You guys announce that it's his birthday, mm-hmm. and you kind of encourage do a your card shower. Listeners yeah. to to send him cards. Do people do that? I mean, all over the world now. All over the world now. Well, the first year we did it, I, uh, apparently <laughs> Ledge got so many cards that Joey, his drummer, set up scrapbooks for him, full of <laughs> full of them. But uh, Ledge will just say, "I got so many cards." The ladies at the uh, at the post office were wondering <laughs> what on earth was going on. Yeah. Which I love. And people like make art and send it to them mm-hmm. and they send weird stuff to them. I, I love it because even when The Ledge was re- doing music long, long time ago, he would write his mailing address on paper plates and throw it out in the yeah. audience because he loves just writing and corresponding to people. Mm-hmm. It's He's always been about that. So if we can it, – it, it's funny because – I think after a while, he kind of thought it was silly that we were doing this. But now, like a month before his birthday, he'll be like, well, my birthday's coming. <laughs> and you know that what that means. <laughs> Cards in the mail. 
you know, it's, he's, <laughs> so he's he, kind of like he's gen- just to remind <clears throat> us in case we might forget. But you know, for a guy that has had not, I mean, he has everything about his career is unconventional. He's the kind of guy that, you know, it's who would have predicted he would have gotten a top 200 hit. I mean, nobody would predict that. So, you know, with these dreams of a, a music career, um, and that's all he really wants. I think any fan letters, anything like that, it just means an awful lot to him. You know, yeah. it's like that's that's his acclaim. Those that's his that's his hit record right there is having all these fans from all over the world uh, write to him and just say they love his music and they hope he has a great birthday. Yeah. So this whole thing to me is, it kind of is it it, it really shows what you can do on public radio because you could never like a DJ on a local station here could no, never do that for an obscure so. artist. No. Um and I think it shows why public radio is so important because I mean that's kind of a special thing that you guys do for him and nowhere else in town could you have a forum and say hey everybody send a car to this guy <laughs> in California because it's his birthday coming up is he still in California yeah. where he lives San Jose. Okay. That's right. Let's give it out now. So anyway, yeah. that's can we give really out his address right now? Yeah, go as, ahead. as the ledge, as the ledge, every other word. No, let's do it as the ledge together. Simultaneously, yeah. okay. In five, <laughs> four, <laughs> three. Norman Carl Odom, Odom legendary Stardust Cowboy, P.O. Box seven thirty seven forty two, San Jose, California. Nine five one seven three. Yep, that was fantastic. One, one point because it used to just be Norman Odom, and at one point he said, "Tell him to write Norman Carl Odom." Okay, and, and then, then we and then and we then mentioned like, it. Then, like two years later, he was like, "Why are they sending Carl?" And I said, "Well, you told us to put Carl there." No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, anyway. it was important the one time. Right, <laughs> one time. Okay. <clears throat> So that's the ledge. Let's talk about <clears throat> they might be giants. Sure. So oh, yeah. for listeners who don't know who they are, they might be giants is an alternative rock band. At least that's they how they would have been yeah. classified. Indie, yeah. indie rock band. Right. You from could Brooklyn. see them. I think the first time I heard them, as you mentioned earlier, was in two So for the last couple of years, you guys have had a kind of a special relationship with them. You do a special day. Yeah, well, right. it started because we're yeah, tell um, that story. We're a member <coughs> station, so we're we're not a commercial station, right. as you pointed out. So we depend on pledge drives, and one of the things you can do during our pledge drive is be a day sponsor. And we have these great listeners that we've gotten to know uh, from doing the show, Tom and Chantil who did a day sponsor for James Ensor's Death Day to play just They Might Be Giants. So the first year we did it, I did it for, I think, four hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the We did the morning show, and then I did a couple hours after that, and I was by myself, and it was 
crazy, crazy enough by myself that I was just like, because somehow I got out into the world other than just Mankato that the station was just playing They Might Be Giants. And it was nonstop emails and text requests for for songs from all over the world. Which, Which was amazing just to see text popping up so fast that they were replacing each other. And that... We get a lot of texts, but nothing like that. Mm -hmm. And so then they did it again the next year. And then I said, if we're doing this, Tim, you have to be, I can't do this by myself. It's too much. Um, So Tim was there and it got to be pretty big. And I don't think even that year we started going for all 50 states. I think it was the third year. Mm -hmm. Um, We wanted to get requests from all 50 states. Yeah. Uh, And and John, was that the first year that John? That was the first year we interviewed then John Flansburg from the band because they found out we were doing this. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, he called a couple of times. I think we interviewed him even like uh, before it happened because they were doing uh, a big, a big year. They were doing Dial a Song again Mm -hmm. and stuff. So they were doing interviews. So we'd interviewed him. Uh, for like an hour, and then he called during the show and uh, a couple of times. And that year, I think we heard from all 50 states for the first time, which was really cool. Uh, And then the next year, Tom and Chantil joined us because then we had things like Twitter Mm -hmm. uh, and the online presence, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and both John Linnell and John Flansburg called in, and Mm -hmm. I think John Flansburg, because he's kind of the overachiever, called in a number of times you again know, we wanted to get requests from all seven continents this time around and and we did that so all all 50, all 50 states, states wow. all, all seven, seven continents. continents and like 20 something countries from around the yeah. world we too. thought how are we going to get a request from antarctica but there you go yeah it's a lot of science people down there they love they might be giants and then uh <laughs> uh was it the, the the last year when we were talking to him john flansburg was like so we're going to be on tour. We're going to be coming to First Avenue. How far are you guys away from there? And I had looked at their tour dates and knew they were coming from Nebraska. So mm-hmm. I said, you are actually driving right through Mankato. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, and he said, oh, well, we should totally stop in. And we were. I think we all just went... <gasps> Yeah. You could hear it's his like, gasp. Yeah. He's like, well, we should stop in with the band. Let's let's do that. And, we're like, and I was like, yeah, you should totally do that, thinking that's never going to happen. But right. then, So four months later. Then the their, their manager said, we're coming on tour and we'll be stopping through. Can we stop in and see you guys? And yeah, so we had John Flansburg and John Linnell right over there in the studio next to us. Mm-hmm. So they were only going to be on for about 15 minutes. They ended up staying for about an hour. Yeah. Um, I shot even hit. after Tim spilled coffee all over John Flansburg. Uh, that's the first thing. Flansburg walks off wow. the bus. They had just woken up because they had been sleeping all night. And I'm like, "Hey, Mr. Flansburg, so so great to see you." And and I shook his hand so hard that coffee dumped all over his coat. <laughs> so that's a great first impression Jeez. that I'm known for. <laughs> <laughs> but it was incredible, and and I, and I got to shoot video of the whole thing, and it's on the KMSU Facebook. If anybody wants to see it, you can actually hear our our stunned reaction when they suggested. Uh, visiting Mankato because I mean these guys it's not like they're just like a regional act these guys are global they're in Australia right now they're global and they're beloved and they took the time out to come to this little station in Mankato just to to talk to their fans and that's one of the things I love about They Might Be Giants is they really value and respect their fans they're very very giving Mm -hmm. and then they even did a t-shirt for yeah. us too yeah, <laughs> that they, they sold they on their a, website for a, they might be giants day that tom designed 
Right. And they and they had those available too. So uh, people can get a they might be playing they might be giants t shirt on yep. on their, their website. Yeah. Shout out to Tom, by the way. He's a really good friend of mine. Yeah, Tom's a great guy, and he's, he's great. He has a great eye for uh, graphic design, and he's just such a creative guy. And uh, you know, and Flansburg is a is a graphics dude too. So it's a big sign of respect that he he reached out to Tom and said, "Hey, I like your stuff. Can we do a T-shirt?" So there you go. So is like Tom the guy behind the T-shirts you guys put out, or for mm-hmm. that for well, he no. designed them. Just that they might be just giant that one. Oh, just no. that one, right? No, okay, there's no. other. We people have another that genius do. that does our other. That's t-shirts. Caitlin. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Caitlin. <laughs> let's move on. I don't want to keep you guys here forever, so let's. Hey, we move got nothing on. but time, man. Move on to the beatifics. Mm-hmm. <gasps> I want to talk to you guys about. Um, I, I think I did talk to you at some point for a little bit about um, uh, what you guys did. So just so you guys, just so uh, listeners know, the beatifics. Um, I think they're no longer a band. You know. I think they're. I think if they had to, they'd be together. Uh, there's a, portions of them. They're they're a band that gets together and plays when there's an occasion for it. And but this is a power pop band headed by Chris Dorn. Yep, Mankato, Mankato native. Yep, and they existed for the most part in Minneapolis. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. they the they they were in Minneapolis. Um, put out two just stunning albums, um, but really nothing beyond that. And the album that is in question here, I believe, is called How I Learned to Stop Worrying. How I Learned to Stop Worrying came out in 1996. And it is fantastic. It's my favorite record of all time. I felt that pretty much from the first moment that I I heard it. And I don't think, if I didn't work with his sister at Barnes & Noble, which is, you know, so much good stuff has happened to me because of Barnes and Noble. Got the get the show. <laughs> I first heard the Beatifics, which led to a whole other thing. But but uh, if I didn't work with his sister, who just knew I did a radio show and and thought, uh, you know, um, maybe maybe you'd like this record, and I'm like, well, you know, people give you music all the time if you love music, and you know, if it's people you know, it's sometimes it's kind of a mixed bag, and you don't want to be a jerk. Mm-hmm if you don't like it but I heard this thing and I put it in the in the CD player and from the moment I heard it I felt like I could have just glued that thing in there because I've been listening to it virtually nonstop for over 20 years at this point <laughs> it's just my favorite record it's everything about it just from the first note it just there's it not just, a bad song on there isn't album. a bad song I can't no. I don't understand how it didn't blow up I, you know, well, I, I mean, if you talk to Chris, uh, it's one of those situations. We, for some reason, have these relationships with bands that that people really love, but their record labels didn't make enough records, and and so nobody could buy it. And that's exactly what happened with with uh, How I Learned to Stop Worrying. It started catching on in, in regional markets, but nobody could get the, the CD. Mm-hmm. So they were touring all over and playing for a record that nobody could buy. Oh. But it's a brilliant record. But anybody that knows it loves it. Yeah, yeah, it's, absolutely. And it's considered one of those, what is it, number 73 in John Borax? It's number 70, I think it's number 71 in the top 200 power pop albums of all time. The new revised list. Which is yeah. saying something. Yeah. yeah. That's a yeah, pretty, big, absolutely it pretty is. big deal. But this record had been out of print forever. I don't even know when it went And out. it was even hard to come across the CD. Yeah. Because I bought one at Ch- Cheapo's in northern Minneapolis- not long after you played it for mm-hmm. me, I found one. And then I never saw another one until uh, Chad, when we were doing a Gen X listening party and 
down to Toontown uh-huh. went, oh, hey, is this that band that you always say, if you see it, you should buy it? And I'm like, yeah, yes. it is. Yeah. It's the second time I've ever seen that in the wild. But buy it. Their their record label was an early uh, adopter of the, um, the we're going to only sell stuff digitally platform. Okay. And, they, and they were behind that a little too early, and they, and they ended up going under. Um, but the the album had been unavailable even in a digital form for probably at least 10 years. Um, and it just, it always outraged me that this perfect, perfect album was not available at all. So sometimes during the morning show, we would be talking about this. Like every time we played it's it. It's our unobtainable goals. Every time we, we would play <laughs> this record, it would inevitably, we'd just get agitated because nobody could get the record. And we'd go on our, if you see this, you pick it up. Uh, stance, and then after a while, um, yeah, I was getting to the point where, like, okay, I'm due for a midlife crisis. So then we would actually be actively talking about, well, God, you know, how much would it cost to reissue this? And so we'd be on the air and just like in our own little world with the microphones on, like, oh, I'm going to go to this website and see how much it costs to press up copy, you know. And we're like, we didn't even think anybody was really even necessarily listening to it, except for sometimes people would say, so do you ever figure out how to put out that BTFX record? <laughs> and then there was just one moment where I think after doing it for so often, I, I think Shelly just said, you know, you should just you should talk about this all the time. You should just do it. So I went down to the coffee hag, sat down with my computer, put on How I Learned to Stop Worrying, and for the next 45 minutes, I wrote the geekiest fan letter I have ever written in my life to, to Chris Dorn. Um, and, you know, I didn't hear anything back right away, which, you know, it's email, so it seems like an eternity. But um, we we were up in the cities doing something. I don't know what it was. And we stopped to get cheeseburgers, and I was just checking my email on my phone, and I saw there's a response from Chris. And, and, and Shelly said, what does it say? And I'm like, I can't read it right now. I'm not going to order food because I'm going to lose my appetite. What if it's bad? So we, we ordered food. So frustrating. We So we ordered food. <laughs> And I didn't open it because I didn't want to lose my appetite. <laughs> and and then I opened it up and he said, uh, he said, I would absolutely love to do this. And then it turned out he actually knew about shuffle function because, you know, he grow, growing up in Mankato, he'd come to town and he would he would be hanging out uh, at his house. And I think one morning his mom had KMSU on and he's listening to it and he's hearing us play like Big Star and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And he said, he said to his mom, when did Mankato Radio get so good? <laughs> and apparently he had written us several times he was going to send us like fan letters, but never sent them. So anyway, uh, long story, not quite as long, but um, we sat down and started doing all the planning, got all the, the, the ideas together, priced stuff out, which, by the way, it's expensive to put out a record, and I have like 900 more copies, so... Shuffle function at hotmail.com. You need a copy. <laughs> but, uh, or bandcamp, uh, btivix.bandcamp.com. But, um, we, we managed to track down the original graphic designer who had all the original elements. They got all the original photographs, rebuilt this record, uh, from the ground up. It's a, a first time it's ever been on vinyl. Who uh, mastered it? Uh, oh, God, what is his name? Like this guy that, that mastered like Steely Dan albums. He's yeah, like one of the top guys. Got it pressed up by Palace Records in uh, in Germany, which is one of the top pressing plants. We basically were like, yeah, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. We're going to go all the way. 
Um, we tracked down uh, this lit radio legend, Vin Skelsa, out of New York. They appeared live on his show in 1997, the only existing live recording of the original band lineup. And we got permission from him to take the eight songs they, they put out, uh, for, did for that show, and put it on a 10-inch exclusive uh, email or internet-only release. Um, and, and everything about it is just like the nerdiest thing. And, and now I, I put out my favorite record of all time on vinyl. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry, that's, that was that guy. It, the story it gets the a little <laughs> rambling, but it's basically BTFX How I Learned to Stop Worrying is the greatest album of all time. Mm-hmm. I don't it, care what any magazine says. What's your favorite song on it, Rob? If you had to pick one, if I had to pick one, uh, the first one. Almost something there. That's the yeah. one that's for me too. But that one and um, this, this year's, year's, this year's Jessica. Jessica, which is like I think that. Well, if we if we're gonna call anything a hit single off that one's probably this. I year's love Jessica. it because if you talk to the people that have to drum on that, they have no idea how to drum on it. I've talked to two of the three, I think, BTFX drummers, and like I have no idea. This year, Jessica, is that, do you guys know the story of that song? Is that about people well, that I know? Well, I, I, I couldn't confirm that even if I, even if I could. I've been, we've been sworn yeah. to secrecy about all things. Because like I had, that. I had been told by a, by a friend of mine who, who that song's about and. Well, I don't know. Maybe, without, without, okay, maybe without, they're right or maybe they're wrong, right? I'm not, it's not something we can <laughs> talk about. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> um. We've been here for a long time, and I have things more things to talk about. Yeah, we, we, we don't have anything to do, so if you need to do a two-parter. Or <laughs> well, let's just real quick talk about Grand Food Cinema. Okay. okay. Um, how do you guys – so for, for listeners, it's an annual film series that you guys right. curate, acquire mm-hmm. the films for mm-hmm. book time at, I think – Yep, we have Where a, we, a weeking auditorium. Yep, yeah. up here, here on mm-hmm. campus, uh-huh. um, and it's usually we we kick off. We do like a, a yay, we survived the spring pledge drive one, but then the the season pretty much kicks off in May. Yeah, it's like and a, goes a, through April October. to October. Yeah, yeah. So how do you choose the films for that? Does it is it based on what you can get? And I know you guys yeah. have that's a big some, part of it. Yeah. You guys got some funding at one point to mm-hmm. to maybe get some. We have been Harder fortunate to enough films. to get uh, Arts and Heritage funding the last yeah. number of years because it's when we started, we were just showing 
um, public domain movies, stuff that you could legally show, right? Because there's no copyright on them at all, and and luckily there's a lot of great movies out there that have no copyright. Uh, on them so we wouldn't have a problem showing them sometimes we would contact filmmakers and, and yeah. show like if it's a documentary um we would like get... we showed birdemic and uh that's right uh i contacted the the, the director and i think i gave him 50 dollars. yeah <laughs> and he said yeah you can show it sure <laughs> anything more would be a little too much for that right, film okay. but but it's great or when we showed uh um the the film with uh rich cronfeld Motor Roswell. Oh yeah. Um, they they gave us permission to show that, so mm-hmm. we've done that kind of thing too. But we usually try to pair things up uh, thematically or just tone wise, um, and it's just it's a lot of fun, and and they're for free, so you know we'll we'll promote them on on uh, on Facebook. Or and, attendance and, is free. Yeah. Yeah, attendance is free, but it it's even if you show a movie for free, it's ridiculously expensive, even if you're a nonprofit. But um, it's a lot of fun, you know. It, it's uh, an excuse for movie nerds to get together. Because as just much be as we like music, we also like movies. Yeah. Well, getting together is kind of what I wanted to ask you about Grand Food because it is one of the times when the listeners can come in and you can like be together in person with them. Um, how important is it for you to have that interaction with the listeners? You probably see only a Grand Food, I'm guessing, or unless they flag you down at the bar well, if we're yeah <laughs> well that's assuming we have free time to get out to a bar because yeah. if, if we're not here we're working uh, our other jobs you know but uh um i don't know it's just great it's great to have the opportunity to to meet listeners and and uh, you know to just find I, out what they love i and, realized recently when we were we were going to do a kmsu record expedition but it was one of those snow super cold days and the the govies truck gas froze up and so we ended up just stupidly driving over to St. Peter to, to in a blizzard in a blizzard to, to get together and, but when we're introducing everybody we have so many nicknames for our listeners that it's, it's true that people they're like oh okay so that's so and so I know and that's you so from and so. yeah so seeing our seeing our, getting to hang out with the listeners and watching movies is really fun. Yeah, I I I don't know. I'm I'm sure they're not coming to see us. I would be they're really surprised to, if to they were coming the to see us. But it, it's just a great community around the station. Yeah. and for things like Grand Food Cinema, because we always say you know don't be afraid to go to a movie by yourself because yeah. you're gonna you if you're going you're gonna know people that are gonna be there like you're gonna be already friends with these people because you have a lot in common right just being a kmsu listener Mm -hmm. and a movie geek right but i i we we really enjoy our listeners and Mm -hmm. we've gotten to know them if they come on and do program directors or if they Mm -hmm. do a day sponsorship or just really great people yeah it's there's amazing listeners out there um so we're really fortunate to be able to do that and then it's not like some like uh like I hear now, they're doing, they're not booze cruises, but like travel cruises where you can hang out with so-and-so radio host. It's like, yeah. It's like, Nobody wants to do that with Nobody us. wants to do that. <laughs> Although we, we did, How do you know? Have you ever asked your listeners? We did, I just assumed. We did I talk about one time me. doing a down the Minnesota River. Oh, God. What was that? Um, something where we'd be on inner tubes. There you go. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. With like a, a, a beer cooler in one yep. of the tubes. Yep. That that would be our booze cruise. Yeah, a lot of great ideas have come out of making fun of commercial radio. <laughs> 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 but that's a low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. The last uh, issue to ask you about is the, the pledge drives you guys do. You guys have a long history of doing mm. grueling 
Is it 24 hours straight? Pledge Drive a Go-Go. Pledge Drive a Go-Go. We started that the very first year that we even were on the radio. When when Gully first took over the station, like one of the first conversations we had with them was, could we do a 24-hour Pledge Drive thing? Well, this was the thing. That first year that we were up here, um, like the first month, ple- pledge drives would roll around, and nobody communicated anything to the rest of the station. We would just show up to tape our show, and suddenly find out it was pledge drive. And we're like, "Why aren't you telling everybody at the station about this? You know, we want to know this so we can beg on behalf of the station." So it was probably—I it, 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 don't think it was the first year. It was definitely the next year. We we were trying to think of ideas, things we could do because KMSU doesn't have any money. Uh, we were trying to think of something we could do that could maybe get a little attention for the station uh, and be a really fun thing for the listeners because, you know. It's like pl- when we were growing up, they would be like DJs that would go on a roof. Yeah, like stupid until publicity stuff. they could things. do right. so, so and, something like that. Yeah, right. And and so we came up with the idea of the Shuffle Function 24-hour Pledge Drive a Go-Go. Now, where keep, we're, now keep in mind, Rob, we had st- never even done a live show this is true. prior to that. <laughs> we had never done a live show before <laughs> we were on for 24 hours for the very first time. <laughs> <laughs> so right away we were you know already like firing on all all cylinders but <laughs> but uh yeah we came up with this idea because we thought well this will be fun maybe people will will perk up and and think like oh well this is an unusual thing that the station does and you know maybe they'll want to throw a, a little money our way um and, and it, gully was was smart enough and has always been smart enough to just say yes to us he's just he's, a, he's gully has always been a great supporter gully saved the station um, because before we got our mo- our morning show, this station was almost gone. Yeah, and he he said, "Well, give us a chance. What do we need to do?" And and he figured all this stuff out. Um, but uh, yeah, Gully was always supportive of all of of these crazy ideas that we would have, like being on the air for twenty four hours straight. And it's really fun. It's a lot of work. It's 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 exhausting. It's mentally trying. But um, sometimes you you get sick. Sometimes you get sick, but you still have to do it. Yeah, I. It's not. There's the year that um, you were living in my basement, and we would. We at first we thought it was smart to stay up all night because then you'd <laughs> sleep all day. So we had stayed up all night long, did the morning show, went home to go to sleep, and across the street from me was kind of an open lot between houses, and I live on a limestone quarry. They started building a house by blasting out the basement. <laughs> that was the day. So it's that always day, something like that. They were blasting, and my house was shaking, and we got no sleep. Yeah. So it ended up being more like a forty-eight hour, hour marathon. marathon. Mm. That was hard. That yeah. was a rough. There's one. no way to prepare for this thing because no, no marathon is exactly the same. You could try and and get a lot of sleep or just you know nap whenever, but there's no way. It's never the same experience. But it's. It's so much fun because that's when we do get to interact with people that maybe only call during pledge drive time right. to, to pledge, but we know who they are and we can talk to them mm-hmm. or they tell us what they like about the station, mm-hmm. what what we could do better. Um, we've always been just, I mean, there. you say you don't listen to pledge drives, but we we try to do it a little fun. Like in the fall, we do the poke to puke, puke ends the pledge drive normally, mm-hmm. and that's become so popular. It's amazing mm-hmm. that... Uh, uh, Minnesota's party music, polka music, is like what gets people mm-hmm. on the phones and going, oh, I, I love yeah. this. We play shuffle function radio roulette where we draw numbers, flip yep. coins, and roll dice to determine what songs we get that get played off of Shelley's collection of K-tel over 400 k records. Yeah. Um, and that's always a lot of fun. 
Um, and we, we, we always do that during the pledge drive too, but it's great. I mean, it, I can't unless I was physically unable to do the 24 hour marathon for some reason. I can't imagine not doing it. Yeah, it's just it's so fun. And you guys raise a ton of money. I think you guys are probably the backbone of the pledge drive. Well, we're we're really surprised at how many people will get their pledging out of the way before 9 a.m. It's 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 always really humbling. Yeah. I get it. I'm a to-do person, so you cross it off your list to be done for the day. We would do in the show for it'll be 15 years this summer. The that morning we, show. That we've been doing the morning show, and I am still not a morning person. <laughs> and I can't. I at this point, I'm just like, nah, it's not. It's not going to happen. It's not in the cards for me. <laughs> but you know, if it wasn't such a fun thing, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd be so excited to wake up and get up here at six o'clock in the morning and do this every single so day. So what time do you have to, you get to, you're up at six and the show starts at the seven? show starts at six. show starts at six. What yeah. time do you get up in the morning? I have, I have two alarms. I have one at five and one at 520. Most of this winter has been five. Yeah. Because it's shoveling. like you got to get stuck at the end of your driveway right. yeah. or warm the car up or something. Yeah. I usually leave the house about 530, think about what I might want to do. <laughs> yeah. On the way up. <laughs> yeah, because we take turns running the board. Right. So if I have to run the board, I tend to get up here a little earlier mm-hmm. just because I have to – I have a – you run off your computer and I run off of physical stuff. Mm-hmm. So got to roll John Flans- the chair that John Flansburg sat in. That's right. <laughs> into the studio with all the music and stuff on it. Wait, the chair that John Flansburg sat in? What do you mean? Do you want to go see I, it? We have the chair. Well, they that got John rid of all the chairs you not used, long you, after they. But, but they, I, I kept the chair that Flan sat in, and you have the chair I, that Linnell sat in. I have the Linnell chair, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's in the office. If you want to go you sit in the chair. The chair. <laughs> I'm sorry. How many chairs do you have that have been sat in by a member of the Might Be Giants? I'm guessing zero. Rob, walk a mile in our shoes. <laughs> Oh, that's impressive. I kept it even though that's it's impressive. really hard to move it because, it, it, I mean, the chair needed to be thrown. The, our yeah. chairs needed to be thrown away for a reason. Yeah. They were already put out somewhere to be thrown away, and that's mm-hmm. how they ended up at KMSU because if we ever saw a chair out in the hallway that said surplus. So mm-hmm. they were hand-me-downs to begin they with. Came right, here exactly. Yeah. But, okay. you know, I mean, people will buy a Kleenex used by Elvis at auction, so why shouldn't yeah. we hang on to a chair that one of the All band right. members used? <laughs> well, um, that's a good point. Um, I thought so. So you guys, uh, we we end the show with a series of goofy questions. If you listen to the other podcasts, uh-huh. you know the ones I threw at Billy. I'm throwing the same ones at you guys. Mm-hmm. I didn't listen, so and I, I want you both to answer. I want you both to answer them. Um, they're, they're the same ones. So. Okay. Shelley, you first. Uh, okay. Would you rather be alone for the rest of your life or always be surrounded by annoying people? Oh, alone. Yeah. That's not even. How is that even a question, <sighs> Rob? Alone. Some people of can't course. stand to be alone. I, I do don't even know how problem. to speak to those people. Well, win. luckily, I'll never have to speak to those people because I will be alone. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather be completely invisible for one day or be able to fly for one day, Shelley? Me? Now, this is a there, This American Life question. They did a show about this. I remember that episode. Um, I think I'd like to fly. I'd, I'd get out a little more often. Especially since I have like a bad knee right now and I, my back is still not great. Flying would be awesome. Yeah, my my instinct initially is to, to say, invisible, just because I could go out and nobody would bother me. But then I realize most days I'm just staying around in the house anyway, so it would be squandered. So probably flying. Okay. And you'd also have to be naked when you're invisible. Is that true, Rob? 
Well, they'd see your clothes. <laughs> Rob, for sake of this Quick. question, I'm going to say you wouldn't have to be naked. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, still, I will go with flying. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do I have to fly? Am I naked flying? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know they got to change my answer. <laughs> okay. Would you rather know how you are going to die or when you're going to die? Oh, my God. Probably. Well, no, I mean... It's, I wouldn't want to know when I'm going to die, but if you know how you're going to die, like what if you are, what if, what if the answer is you're going to be crushed by a piano? Do you just stay away from like music stores for the rest of your life? You order online. Well, then you just don't get your pianos. I can't answer that oh, question. Oh, it's just a, a funny little I question. I can't answer that question. I don't want to know either of them. <laughs> I just hope that one day it happens and I'm not even aware of it. Can I answer that? <laughs> Billy wouldn't answer either, so you're a good company. I can't. I can't answer. I, that question. I've been thinking about that a lot because um, my mom was recently diagnosed with ALS, and so she knows it's coming. So she kind of knows, mm-hmm. but she also knows what. But my dad was killed in a car accident by a drunk driver, so that was like a total surprise. So I've been thinking about: is there a, if there's a good way to handle these kind of situations, which one is better? And I and I. I think I'd rather know how than when, hmm. if I had to. I was. I'm still going and to abstain. Pray to God it's something like saving kids from right. a burning something or other. Right. Saving snakes. Yeah, not something embarrassing <laughs> from a like pet shop. like in front of a computer with pornography. <laughs> or you fell down your steps a second time. Right. And Tim didn't answer his phone. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, the last one is, uh, this is the hard one. Um, would you rather be framed for a murder you didn't commit or frame your best friend for a murder you committed? Oh, I'd take it for the team. Yeah, I think I would take it for the team too. I don't I, I don't think I could frame somebody. No. Well, good. That's the well, right answer. And I would, I would assume if you're framed, there's always the off chance that you could get out of it by saying, you know, I've seen making a murder. They yeah. don't always they get out for a little while, but I they know. end back in. I know. <laughs> All right. Okay, that's going to do it with this episode of Freebcast. Big thanks to Tim and Shelley, uh, hosts of the Shuffle Function Radio Show, for coming on the pod. Also, big thanks to KMSU for letting us record here. And finally, um, thanks to Goodnight Goldust for the use of their song "Headlights" for our theme music. Thank you, folks. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Rob. Bye-bye, Rob. <laughs> now we're going to teach you that. that <laughs> <laughs>